You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Sass Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our YouTube page. Our guest today is Jonathan Altfeld. Since 1997, after a successful career in artificial intelligence, Jonathan Altfeld has been offering unique and innovative NLP-based workshops around the globe. One of the things he does is called genius mapping, which is where he figures out how experts in their field do what they do, both from a conscious and an unconscious perspective. So somebody who's remarkably good at something might not necessarily be able to explain how they do it. Part of their competence is unconscious. And through this process called genius mapping, Jonathan Altfeld has figured out how to map that so other people can do it too. It's fantastic. And we get a real hands-on example of this in this episode where he maps Satch's amazing ability to understand troubled students at the university where he works. It's great. We also get into other NLP-related topics, and it's fascinating the whole way through. So here we go. Good afternoon, uh, Satch and, and Jonathan. Welcome to this mm-hmm. room. All right. Good to have you, Jonathan. Thank you both, Carlos and Satch, for having me on your authenticity show. I've been looking forward to this for a while. All right. Us too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we, we've been hoping for this for a while, and, and we finally lassoed you in, and I'm so stoked to, to be able to get into this conversation with you. <laughs> so much stuff. Who knows where it might lead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So for me now, I, I, I've been around a lot of NLP stuff just because I'm friends with Carlos and have been for, for so long, sure. uh, but I'm not an NLP guy. You know, I, I'm a novice. I'm not a trained person. So yeah. I help a reg- regular, regular schmo understand uh, what this <laughs> stuff is. So like, uh, where's a good beginning for how to explain what, what this genius mapping is, this knowledge engineering stuff? Oh uh, yeah, uh, sure. And first of all, I mean, let's all be regular schmoes. Why, why don't we? Um, because the moment we slip into, let's say, jargon-rich um, uh, elitism, if you will, then we're, it can be used to exclude people, and that's not my intent at all. Um, and so, you know, if, if there's if there's any way to understand that specific class, and that's not the end-all and be-all of NLP either. I mean, genius mapping is not equivalent to NLP. It's just one um, one approach to capturing excellence. So let's let's give the cliff notes version of what NLP is. NLP began as a methodology to capture expertise and brilliance from extraordinary people, as well as applying that modeling capacity. And by modeling, we don't mean, you know, standing on a catwalk. We're talking about um, modeling somebody else's model of the world and then trying it on ourselves in a more accelerated fashion. And the people that, originated in NLP, the co-founders began with this methodology of attempting to figure out how to capture somebody else's brilliance. And the first people they did this with were therapists. And they, therapists, gestalt psychologists, and also the amazing uh, hypnotherapist, Milton H. Erickson, and among many others. And in doing that modeling work, they collected a variety of accelerated change work techniques. And the first wave of NLP practitioners and master practitioners took these change work techniques and got extraordinary results with people, changing people's lives, 
improving people's lives, doing great work, helping people get quick changes that were longer lasting than what they might have gotten elsewhere. Um, so the original push in the field was to help people change their lives for the better uh, through hypnosis, uh, hypnotherapy, uh, different kinds of change work, uh, and the techniques that, uh, that came out of the first efforts in NLP now are often associated as NLP, but the techniques themselves are almost a distraction. Supposedly at the core of this, this entire field is this capacity to model expertise. Now I'm a literally Jonathan, Johnny, Johnny come lately. I, I didn't arrive on the scene of NLP until 1997, some 22 years uh, after approximately when it started in 1975. Um, so 1997, 1975, 1997. Uh, and uh, I got into it after many other people had been practitioners, master practitioners, trainers. And I was looking around and talking to people and everyone was talking about modeling. And nobody was training it, or almost nobody was training. That's not entirely true. Uh, there were a variety of modeling methods being taught, but you, they were not easy to find. And they often required an arduous long path to acquire the modeling skills. And most of the people who were talking about modeling couldn't really explain what it was. It was one of those things they gave lip service to while they were practicing the techniques of NLP, but they weren't actually doing the modeling. Mm. Now, my prior career before I arrived in NLP was in artificial intelligence. I would go into companies as a software engineer, specialized software engineer, and interview experts, find out what they knew, and then replicate that decision-making in software. So okay. I was already doing yeah. modeling. I was already doing successful modeling. I was already getting paid to do successful modeling. And I was already having this great time uh, capturing expertise from known experts and then using that decision-making to speed up training processes or to enable a business to reach 20 times the number of customers in the same amount of time. I mean, I was doing it. And so I arrived on the scene in NLP, fascinated by what I was learning to be sure, but everybody was talking about modeling, couldn't do it, and I was doing it. So I noticed a big gap between the people who wanted to think they knew about modeling or you can describe it any way you like. And the fact that I had these techniques coming into NLP that I was already using, and I started noticing some parallels. And this is where it got really interesting for me. I was still a student of NLP in, the, in my early explorations of NLP, and I started looking into Robert Diltz's sleight of mouth videos. And, uh, and they were great. And they were, um, uh, they were full of references to uh, rules, or what I would describe as rules, if then means statements. Mm. I didn't originate that. Mm -hmm. uh, it was just breaking down every possible human decision into an if then means statement. And I realized, wow, I've just spent the, the last decade uh, becoming a paid expert at if thens, right? Actual expertise of if thens. And I was now seeing parallels between that whole career and the NLP world. And so I thought, what if I were to teach all that stuff from artificial intelligence, specifically a field called knowledge engineering, and teach that to neurolinguistic programmers so that they could actually start doing all the modeling that they were paying lip service to? Mm. And lo and behold, it worked. I mean, it, it really worked. Uh, what I did find was difficult was I was having trouble pe uh, tracking people to longer than three-day courses for this knowledge engineering class. So I had to do it in a format that was still workable. 
the pros were more people got to take the knowledge engineering class and learn how to do this stuff. The cons, of course, were that people weren't getting masterful in just three days. They were getting just enough to be potentially dangerous, so to speak, with uh, with modeling expertise or with uh, doing some coaching work. In other words, mapping beliefs and then being able to change them. And so over the last 20 some odd years has been this journey of evolving that knowledge engineering teaching process. And it's gone through multiple iterations and, um, and things have been added to it and taken away. And, uh, and now I've renamed it to Genius Mapping. So it's like Genius Mapping is KE 2.0. And it's now a six day course, which gets people to much higher functional levels of modeling expertise and also mapping problems for coaching clients so that when you deliver an intervention for your client, it is surgical, targeted. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's it's so extraordinary to be able to, in a paragraph, elicit three or four beliefs where you can pinpoint exactly the structure of somebody's stuck state. Often just by asking a couple of follow-up questions uh, and not pushing an intervention on somebody, just clarifying a couple of things. And then a single one-liner can be enough to totally free someone up. To a whole new realm of possibilities. It's wonderful stuff. So Jonathan, I don't know. If, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it, uh, it. It sounds like this is something that you wouldn't have to have an NLP background to do if you were a psychologist or an HR person who really had enough understanding of that you probably could benefit from this, right? I think anybody in any field could benefit from it. I do think people have certain proclivities that will make them capture the material faster than others might. But I think anybody with any background. Um, no prerequisites whatsoever would do great in the six-day genius mapping course. I, I can't, looking back, say that that was always true about the three-day version of the course. Mm-hmm. Three days was, it was tight. But a six-day certification course where there's ample time for practice and refinement and personal feedback loops with me where I can tune what people are doing and how they're doing it. Uh, I think people are, are you know, heading home after six days with uh, levels of skill that I could never have achieved with, with uh, working with them as a teacher for just three days. So it's very exciting. It's very, it's very cool to be working at this level of refinement. So cool. Another question for you. Uh, how mm-hmm. do you define modeling for someone who doesn't understand what the hell that is? Like, I know it's psychological modeling is what we're talking about, right? Sure. Sure. Um, so you and I, we've been talking on the side about something that was uh partially completed during your genius graphic course. Can I use this as an example? Would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, cool. Uh, thanks. Um, so, uh, folks, this isn't planned. It really isn't. It's just sort of coming up with the stuff on the fly. Um, so I got a couple of examples that come to mind. One of them is, um, uh, let's start with yours. With, uh, I guess it was um, a fellow named Wayne was at the course and had a chance to map some of your networking skills. Right. I know how good you are at networking. I mean, you... You're, you collect friends like other people collect stamps or, uh, uh, or you know, uh, uh, coins or what have you. you. You are great at it. And you've got a series of heuristics, a series of decision-making strategies about uh, what constitutes a potential friend, among, among other things. You know, what do you do at various times in the development of connection and, and whatnot? And, um, and I'm looking forward to diving into that a little bit further with you as well. Um, if I knew that about you, and let's say I just met you because we were sitting next to each other on an airplane. Mm-hmm. If I knew that about you and we were captive audiences for each other, I could in four or five hours as we headed from one coast to another sitting next to you, I could get more knowledge about how you do what you do using genius mapping than I personally think 
the vast majority of the rest of the public could ever get from you. Because not only would I be able to capture what you know you know, that's your conscious knowledge, I would notice gaps and weird patterns in what you don't know you know, that's the unconscious knowledge. And I've got a whole collection of questions that are designed to look at what I do know, see the gaps, and then ask about those. And so the first round of questions would just be getting you to talk, talk, talk while I'm trying to take notes as quickly as I can. And then I convert that to a series of belief statements that I want to map out. And then I start asking the follow-up questions, follow-up questions like, so in this case, if this happens and this happens, that result happens. And that means this for you, right? And you give me a nod or saying, yeah, but also there's this other circumstance that these little exception comments that start flying out. Uh, are really interesting to me because it tells me whether there's an alternative choice at that moment mm. or there are additional conditions that you consciously don't keep track of. And I start getting into the unconscious heuristics of your decision making. And the vast majority of the unwatched public out there, so to speak, doesn't know how to do that. And they don't know how to ask in a targeted way what you know but don't know you know, right? The unconscious stuff. Uh, and so all they get from most people is the top 10 lists. You've all read the top 10 lists. I've yeah. probably written a couple here and there. So when people are creating content, <laughs> we often have to write these top seven or these top 10, uh, top 10 places to get ice cream or the top seven ways to make your partner smile or hey, whatever it is, that's what seems to be uh, easily digestible content nowadays. I don't want the top seven or top 10 lists. I, I want to start with that. But then I want to start asking for, okay, but what are the unconscious exceptions? Mm. So it's a, it's, I, I see it as an incredibly rapid way to get not only what someone knows they know, but also what they don't know they know. And that's deep expertise because most expertise is really subconscious because the act of going from pretty good at something to, to expert at it requires us to sublimate all the detail. Oh, it's still there. We can access it real time when we need to. But having conscious access to it is not something we want to distract our brains by. So we chunk it into a, a larger and larger uh, chunks that we store deeper and deeper in our subconscious minds. So uh, if, for example, we had a chance to, uh, to spend time with our, our buddy James, right? Mm -hmm. uh, James Tagalos, who is uh, brilliant at snooker. Yes. Right. So not only is he uh, consciously gifted with his with his strategies, uh, but he's also got all the muscle movement. Right. He's got all of the uh, the unconscious stuff. And so if we wanted to get good at snooker, if you only asked him conscious oriented type questions like what should I do next? Right. And he'll tell you what he knows you should do. You'll get some knowledge. But if someone used genius mapping and got him to give up some of the unconscious conditions and choices that he makes, we would get significantly better further in our development of those skills in the same amount of time using genius mapping than we would by using primarily conscious methods. So, so I see it as a, um, if someone's good at genius mapping, they can get a fast track to anybody's expertise. That's how I view it. So mm. that sounds great because how often in life do we say, gosh, if I could just take what that person can do and put it in a bottle. Right. Exactly. I could sell it and I could, and, and you've got a distillation process for putting it in a bottle, so to speak. Sure. 
Um, could we play a little bit, guys? Oh let's yeah, play. Okay. Ask you if we could do this. All right, let's yeah, play. Let's, let's, so, let's play the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so I know Carlos. I, I'm sure I don't know him as well as I'd like to, um, and I don't know you very well at all. I've watched and listened to a couple of the, uh, well, more than a couple of the authenticity shows, and um, uh, and I've I've been particularly interested with your thespian theatrical background, mm. um, and would love to ask you whether it's this or some other area. Uh, tell me something you know you're really good at, naturally good at, that you wish you could share with others. Okay. Uh, so we're talking about the, 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 the thespian sort of thing here? Well, it doesn't have to be that. It could be that. It could be something oh. else. I'm just saying that's something oh, you okay. But I, let's ask you personally, something you mm. know you're naturally good at that you wish you were better at sharing with others. Let's see. Something that I know that I'm good at that I wish I could share with others better. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Oh, gosh. I guess... Let's see what what comes to mind here. Take your time. So this is a this is an odd question, right? Um, I guess I could go something um sort of more concrete or something a little more esoteric. Okay, well, one of the things that um I know I'm good at that I do wish I could share with others would be um I I seem to have a way to be understanding with other people mm-hmm. when others aren't. And can usually go into that and um, help create harmony. And I wish Wonderful. I could. I wish I could package Wonderful. that up and be able to to reproduce that because I don't always know how I do that. And I wish others could do that too. Brilliant. So uh, I don't know the full scope of this skill yet. And I know that if we were to go into in depth and capture most or all of it, uh, it could take anywhere from half an hour to uh, to ten hours. It doesn't okay. sound like it's. Um, a vast area of expertise like a, like an entire career would be. But it does sound like it, there could be quite a number of skills that fold together in there mm-hmm. um, and or decision strategies and or moods or state management. In any case, uh, I'm going to work with one or two beliefs. And we'll see if we can pull out something that, uh, that you can share with somebody else. So okay. um, let me get a clarification on the word understanding. Would you say tolerant or understanding? Hmm. You know, I, I I suppose there's an element of both, but I had to if I had to pick, I think I would pick understanding. Okay, so I might start to, with tolerance, but I think behind that is understanding. So when you use the word understanding, are you um, uh, are you thinking about it as uh, a sense of knowing how and why they're in the circumstance they're in? It's not just. Um, mm avoiding passing judgment it's more about i'm just getting a frame right now sure yeah yeah so it's more about um having a sense of what's going on for them so you can communicate to it or with it uh yeah that that seems accurate yeah yeah yeah. cool cool that's a great skill i mean it's wonderful (laughs) so so how do you know that you're better at that than others are you are there circumstances where you see other people uh reacting less elegantly than you are and you it to your own your own approach is more elegant or more um more friendly or supportive or understanding of course sure sure is it typically to to, to identify that as understanding you would there would be a comparative in there somewhere yeah um i suppose the way i okay so the way, the way i i describe what i feel like if i think of this this kind of scenario scenarios like this um i think there's a willingness to go ahead and be understanding long enough to get to where we need to get to. Ah, 
that's great. So multiple things are coming out of this, and I'm starting to get a sense of, I refer to these as clouds or subclouds of processing. We've got areas of processing and thinking that are all related to each other that get us through a circumstance. So one of the things that you just identified is that you have an outcome, which is to get to some result. Mm. And the other peers that you would compare or contrast your more understanding approach to theirs, that might be a critical distinction that they don't have, which is mm. they don't have an outcome to get to some deeper level of understanding. And yeah. you do. I'd say, yeah, that's true. That's true. Right. And so that, that's one that thing. Words, we're gonna, yeah. So we'll keep that in mind. We'll put a little pin in it, so to speak. Um, because that's the end point in the cloud process of moving. Uh, what I, I, my construct in genius mapping moves from left to right as a representation of time. So in the beginning of some circumstance, um, I'm just gonna zero in for the moment in one belief. We're just gonna operate on one and see if we get the full body knot. Carlos mm -hmm. knows all about this one. Um, okay. uh, so <laughs> we'll see if it plays out. So um, Put me in a circumstance where you know you're being more taught. What has to happen for you to be more understanding than someone else might be? Give, put us in the situation. Hmm. Okay. Um, What's true about that moment? So, okay. Um, for example, okay, let's suppose maybe I could just give a, a, a kind of a, a, a scenario that would kind of capture this. Maybe. Is, that, is that good? Okay. The simpler the conditions, um, the better. Mm -hmm. Suppose I've got a student, right? I work at a university. Suppose I've got a student mm -hmm. who's gotten themselves into some kind of mess, some kind of trouble, mm -hmm. right? Um, and uh, there is this tendency, there's a natural tendency in education to sort of sum up this person and say, well, either you, know, either you got it or you don't. Either you understand or you don't understand. And hey, you know, those, you know, sink or swim, if you can make it awesome, if you don't get it, sorry, that's too bad. We tried to support you, but there's nothing we can do. You're out. Okay. Right? Yeah. And, and I usually go into those situations with this idea, like to kind of pull out what you helped me uncover just moments ago about having an end goal mm -hmm. is I sort of know that with a little bit more prolonged understanding and, and openness and willingness for a little while, we will eventually get that person to succeed in discovering whatever it is that they need to discover in order to be successful. Lovely. And that's yeah. it's kind of usually what I'm what I'm going for. That might be a, a kind of a classic scenario if that okay. helps. Fair enough. So for Carlos, if you're tracking, um, we just heard one belief and then it fed into two more in sequence. Yeah. All right. So um, with the third one at the end point of having the student know what they need to know to be successful. Um, let's come back to the first one, which is if a student comes to you and they're in trouble, that's two conditions, right? Okay. We know there's a tendency for binary judgments from the university setting, but you don't apply those, do you? Hmm. Okay. Correct. So correct because yeah. you don't apply those, even though you know that's out there, uh, we're going to set it aside because it's not what happens in your head. So if a student comes to you and they're in trouble, um, are there circumstances where you do nothing or are there are circumstances where you would, um, you, your first inclination would be to ask them what they want or something like that. I mean, what would be the, mm. the action and are there additional conditions for what you would do first? Hmm. Let's see. The first thing I do mm -hmm. is I go ahead and 
I connect with them first. Good. It's the first thing I do is I connect with them Mm. and I go ahead and I let them tell me their story, whatever it is, because I can feel that they are afraid of all these judgments that are coming up and that they need to convince me of something. Right. And I go ahead and allow that to just be beautiful until I get them to a new state. I'm out. Uh, and the reason I'm asking a timeout, and by the way, I don't have, I didn't have time to do the full pre-talk, but I tend sure. to interrupt yeah. out of respect for your time. Okay. You're, the, you're, the, you're the expert. Okay. Um, I deeply respect your expertise. Uh, but if I let you go on for a long time, mm-hmm. then I'm actually not modeling uh, what I'm aiming to model. I'm, Got it. I'm okay. getting almost too much information. So Got what it. I have is that a student comes to you and they're in trouble. Your first inclination is to connect and get their story. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that true? True. Yeah. What are you seeing, Carlos? Yes. 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 Okay. So tell me about the emotional value to you. The emotional value to you is that yeah. in connecting and getting someone's story when they're in trouble. The emotional value. I'm not talking about the next okay. step or what it can enable for you. I'm asking about what do you feel at the moment you choose to get their story and connect? I feel that I go into a space with them that feels rare and sacred. Sacred. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so when, when a student comes to you and they're in trouble, you choose to connect with them and get their story. And that for you has a sacred um, space to it. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm getting a, a mostly full body nod. It feels like there may be something else. It might be a mixed state. Is it uh, both sacred and also empathy? What else is relevant there? Hmm. Or a um, desire for empathy that you don't yet have. I don't know which. So there's a sacredness there. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What is it? What, what what is it that I'm I'm feeling here when I go into this state? Um, Good. I think what it is the best way I can describe it is that there's an outcome that I want to get. So purposeful there's, 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 yeah, there's, there's a purpose there. It's almost like there's something that we can manifest together. Interesting. And, and if we, if we, I I guess if I feel like I'm willing enough to stay in that space, we can get there. Willingness. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to keep the sacred word, even though that's more of a description than an emotion. I'm going to keep sacred willingness. Maybe. Mm. Now we're getting the oscillation, right, Carlos? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So once again, <laughs> just to be sure we've got it. Satch, uh, okay. If a student comes to you and they're in trouble, you're going to choose to connect with them and get their story or get their story, which results in connecting either way. And for you, that is a sacred space and it's a willingness. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, does that feel 100% congruent or is there something else that's relevant to this choice point in your life? Um, I mean, I would say that's pretty close. Um, I, I, I suppose I could, I could dig and see what else comes up. You know, yeah, um, I've already got one um, and I okay. can run it by you just to see. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. it is close. Okay. Like, for example, does this happen with every student that comes to you that's in trouble? Or would it have to be somebody you believe um, has redeeming value and potential? 
or have you, or are there rare people that mm. you have just decided that you're just not, not interested in helping? Okay. I would say it's almost everybody, almost everybody Yeah, that there, there, there's going to be some rare exceptions. I would say, I mean, e- even if I know the student's doomed, I'll still try to go into that space. And work That's great. Them. Although yes. I might come to a conclusion that this is a situation that is just way beyond, you know, it's, they, they have a right to go ahead and make their mistakes sometimes. Got it. You and know, you just gave us an unconscious condition that you didn't initially know you had. Mm. And I would never have known that you had unless I asked for it. Hmm. So I'm going to add two conditions to the, to the, to the if side of it. So I'm going to okay. say, if a student comes to you and they're in trouble, and you don't think it's beyond your means to assist them, mm. okay. right? Oh, there's yeah, a big yeah. one. Yeah. And there aren't any number of other unusual exceptions that would just make you say no. Uh-huh. Then you're going to connect with them and get their story. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's about a sacred space and a willingness to, uh, to work with them. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah, there that's it is. Great. Okay. Yeah. So that little nugget of wisdom is a decision, a choice point that, other people don't have. That's the first sort of big aha description. Okay. We have an if with a fully elicited set of conditions. We have a then with one or more results. Okay. And we have an emotional value to you about that choice point. It's not the emotion you want to get to down the line. That's a whole separate mm. thing. But that moment in your life, think of it as. Um, there's neural circuitry that goes on up there that makes us make one decision or another. It's like any fork in the road can be represented by one of these if-then mean statements. Okay. So if we sequence enough of these together, and there's lots of different options, there's, it's not just one sequence, it's not just a flow chart, it's, there's options. Um, we can capture the whole area of your expertise, your genius for tolerance and understanding and maybe even your ability to help students in trouble. Okay. We could capture that, and we could train other people in the university setting and combat that binary judgmental frame that's so prevalent out Uh, there. Wow. I see that as wonderful. Pretty powerful. Yeah. And anybody's got expertise like this. Okay. Cool, cool. Because everybody becomes an expert or a genius at something, whether or not they know it's genius. I mean, somebody could be the best peanut butter and jelly maker on the planet. Someone could be uh, the best skateboarder or the best skier or the best um, at calming themselves after an argument. I mean, it doesn't matter. Mm. Everybody's got expertise. And this is a way of mapping it. It's so the sky's the limit to how important. So, so you have like mapped all kinds of people's geniuses and have like a, a, a backlog of you know all these <laughs> like yeah well let's map this per let's let's try this person's you know style on yeah so about awesome. 85 90 percent of the work that i've done with genius mapping is behind a non-disclosure which kills me because <laughs> there's some great stuff that i'd love to share uh-huh. but there's a lot that yeah. i can't and there's a lot that sure. i uh, could be able to if i went through a process of requesting that and uh, uh-huh. yeah I'm, I'm hoping that as genius mapping as a course continues to get out there, um, then uh, we'll have some more genius maps that can be sold, which wow. would be lovely because it's, I mean, it's, cool. I think it's more valuable than any book because the book, yeah. if someone writes a book, it's their brain dump. It's what they know they know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And no one will be able to read someone's book that they consciously wrote down and get the same results. Nobody. Because it's not enough to know just what they consciously know. Right. Yeah. No, nobody, nobody writes a subconscious autobiography, right? <laughs> that's, kind of like, that's what we need. The subconscious autobiography. It's called channeling. Exactly. channeling. Yeah, yeah, there, there you go. Edgar Casey did that. Edgar Casey. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, wasn't he the sleeping prophet or something? Yeah. Right? yeah he'd, totally. he'd go into his sleep and then all the stuff would get written. Yeah. Uh, supposedly. Anyway. Um, <laughs> what was that funny quote from, from what was it? 20 years ago. Was it, there are known knowns and there are unknown knowns or known unknowns or what was what was that? It was it was a presidential quote. <laughs> do you remember this? No. It sounds familiar. I think it was it uh, Bush Senior, maybe who did it. I, yeah. I don't remember which one, but it was it was like the known yeah. knowns and the unknown knowns. Known knowns and the unknown knowns. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It had oh, to do with funny. terrorism, probably. But yeah. Not gonna repeat it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Putin. Yeah, about Saddam. <laughs> yeah, Saddam Hussein. I always loved Dana Carvey's impersonations of him. He would say, thousand points of light. Yeah. A new world order. Right. Yeah, that's great. It's funny, the thousand points of light thing reminds me of like a Carl Sagan bastardization. Yeah, billions totally. and billions and billions. You know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. Yeah. No. No. Dana Carvey would be a fun person to genius map. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, you're not kidding. I'd yeah. love that opportunity. That'd be oh, awesome. <laughs> That's great. Was it fun or not fun being a model? Give us the honest authentic. It was fun, actually. It was it was totally cool. I liked it because um, uh, one, I think the way you you started it off is we found something that I honestly do think would be cool for other people to be able to do. So it's 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 an honor to share that. Isn't it? Is it awesome? Yeah. And then I think the other thing is it's sort of fun to discover yourself, right? Like like I right. I, I discovered things about myself that I had no idea were happening. Cause I never thought about yeah. it until you asked me the questions. I was like, Oh, is that what's going on? I get, yeah, that is what's going on. Huh? Well, that's nice so, to know, you know, th that's the common response is that it is that people are getting to know their own knowledge system, their own decision process, their own values, their own everything. And it, um, even though I drive the process, people drive the content, the exemplar and this, the, the person who's the example, the expert or what have you, mm -hmm. um, or the therapeutic client with, the subject, um, you in this case, okay. uh, you know I'm not leading you unless you're stuck and I'm trying to jog your memory. It's totally, all yeah. Your content, you drive all the content. I drive the process. Yeah, but the end result, I'm repeating to you something that is going on in your brain, or at least will go on in your brain at, at some future circumstance, or has gone on in the past. So by traversing that decision repeatedly refining it as we go we get closer and closer to the actual or or the actual um neural choice point for you okay and it feels so good to be understood it does yeah start giving the full body nod yeah like initially if you're if i'm close but not really i start getting yeah yeah. Okay. You go, go from this to, get to oh yeah 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 okay. yeah exactly okay. the whole the whole yeah, upper yeah. body gets into it. Oh, um, and it feels really good to be validated that way. 
uh, and to have our, totally. our process reflected as valuable and useful. And, um, so it's, it's pretty cool. It's a deep process. So, so here's a, here's a question that came to mind um, from doing this process is you can mm-hmm. map somebody's genius, whatever yes. skill technique they have or, or how, how they do something. Um, so it sounds like you could also, you, cause you could use a map to get somewhere or you could use a map to get out of trouble. Yes. So and those you, are the two primary uses of genius map. Okay. So you can do Capturing. it to, to find out how somebody's making a mistake and how can they get out of that situation. Yeah. Too. And mistake okay. is one definition. Another could be that okay. the therapeutic problem or challenge uh, needs to be mapped so we can use a targeted intervention. Mm. Lots of NLP techniques uh, are brilliant and work well especially if they're well-suited to the challenge that's presented. But not every challenge presented necessarily maps well to a specific NLP intervention. Mm, okay. In which case, and also, it's also true that in the field of NLP, the quality of practitioners produced over the years has declined sharply. As NLP practitioner training started at around a month or longer, mm. <laughs> and they keep shrinking, I've kept mine at around 10 days for quite some time. But I know James does more than 20 days of NLP training mm. for, for a practitioner level. And that's extremely rare. The vast majority of people aren't even doing 70 courses any longer for a practitioner. Yeah. Okay. So what, what one trainer produces isn't the same as what another trainer produces. And frankly, most practitioners couldn't do this level of work. So they will, um, it's like having a whole bunch of new hammers and everything is a different color nail that they can hammer in. Um, okay. Genius mapping is not like that at all. It looks for the structure of someone else's stuck state or problem or difficulty or less elegant behavior mm-hmm. or their habit. And it looks at the structure of their habits and why they're still doing them. So it's frequently the case that while a genius mapping student who's working on having one of their own problems, mapped, they're halfway through it and they've already solved it. Hmm. So um, sometimes it, it, uh, it takes a little longer, so it needs to be mapped, and the person who is doing the genius mapping might want to, uh, once they know more about the struct state, they will help with an intervention that's very targeted. But most of the time, people are halfway through the mapping process, and they're like, oh my gosh, I never knew I did that for that reason. Hmm. Uh, I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, forget it. I've solved it. Wow. <laughs> and they Great. often don't want to continue yeah. with the mapping. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Finish the exercise. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but I'm full, right? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't eat another bite. Yeah. Yeah. But oh. you're absolutely right. It can be used for solving problems just as it can be used for, for capturing mm-hmm. expertise fast that is deeper than just the top 10 lists. And, and how, so, so like we just did something like with me, we just did something that was kind of more psychological. Yeah. Um, you can use it for like physical skills. Maybe somebody wants well, to shoot a better free throw, you know, uh, you know, things like that, or, or is it not quite going to that realm? It's a great question. And the answer is um, if what someone is doing physically uh, involves unconscious knowledge, then genius mapping would be valuable. Okay. If what is known what, uh, that we're trying to map is fully conscious for the athlete, let's say, okay. and the modeler is asking the athlete and the athlete is a good teacher of their own skills, then I don't know to what degree I would call upon genes mapping. That could end up being a less efficient way mm. of replicating the physical movements. Okay. But if there's strategy involved, okay. like if it's just how to throw a better uh, a better three-point throw, mm. I would say leave genius mapping out of the equation. Uh, unless okay. you're using genius mapping to get fitness knowledge, nutrition advice, things like that. Okay. Um, 
but for the three throw, for the free throw or the uh, or the three point throw, um, I would say just uh, throw a hundred uh, or a thousand just, balls. Just regular and, coaching. Get your technique and down. and get direct feedback from someone who knows better than you, so that they can Got tune it. your movement and your arc and all of that. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. a faster way to learn from great coaches who know physical movement. But the moment there's strategy, the moment there's heuristics and decision making, genius mapping is better than anything else out of this. Got it. So it, you're absolutely right. There is a limitation on the scope of, of its usefulness. But mm. anytime there's, uh, like I would never want to use genius mapping to map um, to map how a surgeon moves a scalpel. Huge waste of time. Big distraction. Probably not as good as being able to hold the surgeon's hand you know, gently while they're doing it. If you can mm. get a mentor who lets you do that, then mm. you'd learn surgical skills you'd never get from discussing things. Because you right. capture things somatically, you know, kinesthetically okay. with your body. Um, so yeah, there's right, no right. question that other learning methods are just as useful in different circumstances. Jonathan, cool. Questions? Yeah, this is great. Jonathan, uh, would you talk about uh, explicit versus implicit modeling? Oh, sure. Um, and that also puts a frame around, uh, uh, around genius mapping. So um, we already did talk about that just now with the surgeon example, or even the, the, the basketball throwing. Um, anytime that you are replicating somebody else's behavior with your eyes, creating the eye, brain, body loop or circuit, um, that's implicit modeling. If I adopt what I think someone else is doing and I replicate the behavior real time and I, I do it a lot and I keep refining the movement, that's implicit modeling. The moment we start discussing things and consciously unpacking what someone is doing, that's explicit modeling. Um, some would say that NLP modeling, and, and I would agree with this, NLP modeling is implicit modeling. It's monkey see, monkey do. And that is a big distinction between what we call NLP modeling today and genius mapping. The two are not the same. So for someone who wanted to learn NLP modeling, only for monkey see, monkey do behavior work, uh, implicit uh, acquisition of skills, unconscious uptake of the refinements of, of how someone is doing something, genius mapping will not provide that. It would not. Um, however, the moment we get into strategy, the moment we get into unconscious, the balance between unconscious knowledge and conscious knowledge, that's explicit modeling. And we are bringing to the explicit conscious attention what might have been unconscious before. So. In effect, genius mapping does get um, knowledge from implicit modeling into explicit modeling. But both have their value. And a surgeon, I, if I were a surgeon, a young surgeon wanting to, uh, to model a genius surgeon, I would use implicit modeling as much as possible. Because I can always get the explicit stuff in a classroom mm. or by sitting in on a, an operation and asking questions directly. That's explicit modeling. Mm. But implicit modeling is uh, of immense value. And just a, as a, a picture is worth a thousand words, physically replicating somebody else's gift is worth a million words. If you have enough time to uh, to repeat a behavior and and keep repeating it with refinement and visual feedback without any kind of conscious uh, chatter going on, that's that's wonderful. But some skills uh, are suited for that, and some are not. So. Hmm. I remember you talking about um, a couple of scenarios that that. Uh, genius mapping are just really ideal for. Um, you okay. were talking about like um, 
the dinosaur in, in, in the, in the business that, that just really has the skills and you've got a, a bunch of up and coming folks that, that are uh, maybe have the same degree, but they're not performing to the same level. And the concern of the, the company is that, Oh, you know, the dinosaur who we love is probably going to retire sometime soon. Right. Uh, and what are we going to do? Is there going to be a huge knowledge gap, experiential gap with the people who are in that, um, that section of the business, is that going to affect our income long-term? Is it going to, you know, create a dip in sales or, or, or what have you? Right. Talk about that for a sec. Sure. Um, it's been the case at every business I've ever consulted at, that there was always somebody on the way out the door soon who was ready to retire um, um, or maybe they'd become financially independent. They just didn't want to put in the hours working anymore. But those people who have a gift, who have very expensive knowledge gained either by experience or by experience in school and combined. Um, these are the geniuses at the company that the company is petrified of losing. So there's often a lot of, a lot of fear and anxiety around the expert leaving and um, a worry about how expensive it is to train new people to get them even remotely close to where the expert is. Um, so for whatever reason, people are on the way out of a, of a career job, um, and there's a great deal of worry about keeping the knowledge inside the company. That's prevalent. It's a universal experience. I'm sure there's a rare company that doesn't have that at this moment, but if they don't now, they will at some point. Somebody gifted and knowledgeable is going to leave eventually. Um, and so since it's a universal experience, you'd think companies would have a more universal solution for it. And they don't. They don't. They don't. And you know what's amazing is when presented with an ideal way of, of solving it, often they don't pull the trigger because mm. they have so many worries, they generalize the worries to everything else. Mm. And no decision feels good. <laughs> it's That's also prevalent. Yeah. Wow. Um, so um, what if someone who's an expert uh, who's got very expensive knowledge could have their expertise captured and that expertise could be trained to new people in less time than, uh, than, than traditional ways of interviewing an expert and then training would, would do. Um, if you present that to uh, an executive, you, you'd think the smart ones would jump at the opportunity. Mm. But many of them are like, well, we don't know about your system, your method. We don't know how easy it is to capture somebody else's unconscious soft skills. Uh, we're just going to try and get past this as best we can, see if we can have somebody shadow the expert for a year or two. Mm. What an enormous waste of time and money. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of salary Big <laughs> when the person could have learned it in a very short period of time. Well, especially yes. when at the end, um, you know, according to the process that you teach, they would have a product, uh, either a workbook, uh, a manual, a training course that would be developed that could be washed, rinsed, repeated over and over again in the future. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, so I got a question. Um, so we, we've gotten into the uh, uh, the modeling aspect of it, where, where you extract the data. Uh, right. what's, what's the teaching of that like? Like when you teach another person, is there a similar methodology to how that's done? Well, it uh, depends on who you ask. Um, if you ask a knowledge engineer who had not had any NLP training, they would probably revert to what they used to know about education, which was outline instruction and, uh, and hope for the best. PowerPoint, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, they would, there would be heavy reliance on PowerPoint, which, you know, which okay. 
I don't think PowerPoint is evil. I think using it as a crutch is evil. Mm -hmm. um, but you can use it as a visual aid and still make the training experiential, and that can be valuable. Yeah. I don't. I, I don't have a problem with PowerPoint if it's used intelligently to augment um, a dynamic learning experience. There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with having visual aids. Um, the issue is if that becomes the only focus and you repeat the words that are on the, you know, it's like, I'm just going to read this for you because your eyes aren't good enough. I mean, yeah, right, right. <laughs> that's not training. So, yeah. yeah. So that so that that would be a, a more typical approach. However, an NLP trained trainer, if they know something about uh, about the format method, or if they've got um, other kinds of, of educational paradigms uh, for instructing, you can create um, a dynamic experience that speaks to multiple learners' styles. You can deliver information in a visual format, in an auditory format, in a kinesthetic format. You can use something called a discovery method, which uh, essentially creates a training segments of building blocks, and then experiences where people will use the building blocks together and won't really realize until the penny has already dropped that they were learning a lot more than they thought they were learning oh, and that they can use and do what they didn't expect that they could do in a shorter period of time. So I think using advanced um, educational methods to train people um, makes people go, wow. I mean, the eureka moments start flying left and right. I'm chomping cool. at the bit right now because I want to, I just want to share this. Um, as soon as you said that, yeah, I have described you a couple of times as a ninja trainer because um, I couldn't, I, I was very surprised at what I knew, but didn't know that I knew because of what you taught, but I didn't yeah. know you were teaching it. <laughs> cool. It was yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was like an Easter egg, you know, that, that said, right. wait, a minute, how did I, wait, what? <laughs> yeah that was great so that's that's the fun part is, is yeah. when you start getting the oh shit moments like oh my god i just did what i didn't realize i knew how to do mm -hmm. um so that combined with uh the realization people have that i've just trained something consciously but i've been demonstrating it from day one mm -hmm. right so so what is that when you demonstrate and then you explain later that's different than conscious training that's using a combination of multiple training methods. And so when you combine demonstration without explicitly describing what you're doing and you do it repeatedly, you're essentially doing something called semantic priming and you're building response potential and people get exposed to a pattern before the pattern becomes explicit. Then when you describe it, some people get it more quickly when you describe it, having demonstrated it a lot first and others will go, wait a minute, holy shit, you were doing that three days ago. Yeah. And I would say, yeah, okay, and this surprises you. And so um, <laughs> so that's, that is definitely the fun part of my job is seeing the light bulbs go off. You get this question a lot. Um, about NLP being pseudoscience and all of the links that talk about the studies that that show that it's a bunch of crap. And you know, I hear this over and over and over again from people. And you know, some of the list of complaints about uh, people who practice NLP are probably valid complaints. Um, it's certainly not uni not universal, but there are people who who definitely exemplify those qualities. The, the snake oil salesman. You know, we, we've we've seen it before. I just, I'm kind of curious about how you approach 
answering that for people who are genuinely into it, interested, but they're kind of feeling a little dismayed by what they've seen online or what maybe they've gone to the wiki page and seen, you know, the, whatever that fellow's name is, who, who kind of wants to attack NLP or, or they've right. seen something on an, in a psychology uh, paper that talks about NLP being nonsense or whatever. How do you talk about that? And, and what have you learned about that? Sure. Uh, well, I think that's an essential component to knowing uh, how the evolution of NLP uh, has failed in certain ways and has succeeded in others. Um, where do we begin? First of all, um, there's a premise that NLP is a science. And that right away, we should let go of. NLP is not a science. Right. It's a combination of art and science that will escape uh, most attempts to study NLP as if it were a science. However, that's NLP as an entire field. There are aspects of NLP that have been studied and are now leading to uh, reliable treatments of specific things. There's a group called the Research and Recognition Project, uh, which has led to a protocol for treating PTSD. Hmm. There's an interesting history about this is that it began, that's correct. Hmm. It began entirely as, a, as an offshoot of NLP, as a specific protocol. It's just like a simplified version of the NLP fast phobia cure. And all of the people on the advisory board were NLP related, I mean, all of them. And they've had grants and they've studied it and they so far outshine the closest comparative therapy. I think that the, the best results with a certain type of PTSD that they were studying uh, came from CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And these folks could do about six hours and they get in a very short period of time. It doesn't have to be like months and months. The results they were getting was 100% uh, removal of symptoms. Like they were, you can't use the word cured um, yeah. easily. It can't be bandied about. But their, the treatment had led to a total reduction in symptoms and the studies were replicated. They were replicated with the same sex. They were replicated with different genders. Um, and there were multiple grants, multiple studies. And except for those people who could not be convinced to come to all of their sessions, like there were a few people that, were, that dropped out of the study because they, uh, they were too nervous to leave their home for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody who completed the sessions got almost total removal or total removal symptoms that to my knowledge have not come back mm -hmm. so we can't call it a cure legally but we know there's nothing that comes close to to eliminating ptsd symptoms and so i mean it's wonderful yeah. that now we've got a process that can prevent hundreds or thousands of our veterans from feeling like there's no future, that they have to end their lives. I mean, the number of suicides we can prevent with this thing is staggering. Yeah. And, um, and NLP was the source of this treatment plan. It saddens me to no end. I'm not gonna let it uh, drift apart quietly. Um, it saddens me that they have whitewashed NLP from the website because the new board that was hired to help bring this to a larger number of people doesn't think NLP is respected enough and wants this treatment out there. So I understand the reasoning, but I don't like it. 
yeah. personally because of the field getting a, a bad rap as a result. So um, techniques, specific techniques have efficacy and can be studied and have been studied. Uh, there are studies that have not uh, passed muster. Many of the studies that I read that did not pass muster, uh, there was something fundamentally wrong with the with the training or the, not the training, the testing protocol. I thought some of them were were tested very badly. Um, so uh, I think there's a wonderful opportunity to test certain techniques in the future. But as a whole, we're not going to call in LPS science nor sugar. It's a blend of art and science. Mm -hmm. And um, often the difference between getting a great result with a technique is not the technique, it's how good the practitioner is. Do they have sensory acuity skills? Uh, do they have the ability to gain rapport with a client? And how important is that towards gaining a great result? Mm -hmm. Have they done any values or belief work? How strong is the ecology check that they do before and after the intervention? There's a whole long list of these other constellations of skills in terms of how they connect, uh, such that when they do the single technique that's being studied, it's either done shittily, that <laughs> word doesn't exist. It's either done in a really poor fashion, uh, or it's done beautifully by someone who's gifted and well trained, and that can make the difference between something working and not working. It's not NLP that works or doesn't work. It's how good the practitioner is. Let's call it that. So yeah. because of that, it's not just a science and it doesn't fit into a scientific box by itself. You know, as a um, well, well said on all of that, Jonathan. Um, Thank you. You know, as I, I'm an acupuncturist. And cool. so I, I, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no stranger to um, having to deal with um, conflicting research. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's it's out there all the time. And here's one thing that I've I've just noticed over the years is that um, everybody will say uh, science doesn't back it up until they do. Exactly. And eventually, and eventually yeah. they will. Because I've right. seen a great. Uh, what do you see in all the research now? Mindfulness meditation <laughs> and all this stuff. You know, uh, stuff that that was was looked at as um, evidence doesn't support it. Evidence doesn't support it. Oh, right. guess what? Evidence supports it now. Right. And the the only difference between those things is money and backing to do the studies, and and yeah. that's that's the big thing, right? Is that um, um, a lot of headlines in articles, um, and a, a lot of belief in the general population, and even in the scientific community, makes a big mistake. And they say, and what they what we read is um, there's a lack of evidence to show this works. Right. And the problem is the absence of evidence is not proof that something doesn't work. It just means there's an absence of evidence. Yeah, right. I don't know about what you think about this, but I, I like to think of NLP as a, it's a branch of psychology, certainly. What, what do you think about that? Like, like for a psychologist well, to say um, NLP is not psychology, that seems silly because it's it's a branch of psychology, right? I mean, I don't know if I would say that. Um, I think it's its own unique field. I think uh, psychology is a very important branch uh, into NLP. I think it's one of the major influences of NLP, but we don't do therapy in NLP. Oh, but we psychology is used for sports. It's used for advertising. Right. So I was just saying it's very broad. Absolutely true. You know, I think there's a great deal of overlap. I think what we've got here is a Venn diagram with a great deal of overlap. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. I like to think that that same Venn diagram occurs between hypnosis and NLP, although I know that there's some hypnosis folks, <laughs> hypnosis folks who, who think that NLP is a small circle inside of hypnosis. 
hypnosis. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes just to push buttons, I'll say, oh, I thought hypnosis was a little circle inside of NLP. <laughs> <laughs> I, realistically i think it's more you know we've got one world we've got another world and, yeah. and there's overlap between them yeah. um i think depending upon someone's primary focus nlp could be a branch of psychology or it could be um just a, an overlap or it could be uh, i think of nlp mostly about uh as a as a business tool i mean i don't do therapy sessions i have a number of coaching clients where we occasionally do some belief related work um, but um, I, I have branded more towards the, the business aspects of NLP. So I don't get a whole lot of deep therapy calls, although I occasionally get a few. And I won't do that kind of work. I'm just not interested in it. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, I think certainly there's a lot of overlap with psychology, but NLP is too vague and big a field now. I mean, you've got this modeling technology at the core, which has created these little fiefdoms, areas of study where people have captured expertise. And then they're now training that expertise back out to others. Is that expertise that NLP has captured now NLP? Mm. I don't know. Um, NLP is not the applications of NLP, as James likes to say. Yeah. Right. Exactly. If it were, then NLP would eventually encompass everything, which right. is not fair or real. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's a meta discipline. Yeah, exactly. It is a meta discipline. That's a great way of describing it. So that's James again. Um, Thanks, James. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, James. And um, so, so yeah, I think uh, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a branch. My father is a general psychologist, and we've had some lengthy conversations about the overlaps between them. One hmm. distinct difference between NLP and the field of psychology is that psychology um, uses at the under at, at its core a concept of the personality as a unique entity, hmm. according to my dad anyway. And we don't really describe it in those words um, with NLP. We're more bottom-up sort of a, an approach. If you're specifically using NLP, as opposed to some of the other techniques, like if you're using tapping or using DHE, which is very top-down, um, NLP is very bottom-up. In other words, you go to the small chunk, you figure out what the map is, and you figure out where to target an intervention. And you use as, a, as a appropriate or applicable an intervention as you can that's suitable for each of the things that you're doing. And over time, you hit enough of these little patterns that are problematic, and somebody's problem is solved um, long term. Uh, if you are good at what you do and you, you, know, you have all the appropriate ecology checks, then the change sticks. Um, if you're... Um, if you're approaching it from a psychology perspective, you'd want to you'd want to uh, deal with the personality. Maybe you would want to um, uh, look at what's wrong. The field of psychology historically has looked at what's wrong, whereas with NLP, we're primarily looking at what um, is optimal or right, what would be best. We're looking for solution states, and then only studying the problem minimally to create. Uh, a break state or a pattern interrupt that can then lead into the better behavior, better results. So we are more, I would say we are more solution oriented than the general field of psychology is. Um, so they want to deal with the problem. We don't, we want to wire around the problem as quickly as possible. Interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I guess, I guess when I think of psychology at large, I, th I think of it as a study of human, human nature not that works sure. and, and then like um uh, specific therapeutic methods like gestalt therapy or you know the mar marriage and family therapy model those are models for how to approach helping people mm -hmm. um 
but you know, it, it, and, and I, I also think about it in terms of, of how it emerged from the psychology department of UC Santa Cruz. Right. And, um, you know, and, but, you know, of course, John Grinder was a linguist, you know, the teacher yes. and all that kind of stuff, but, but with a, but, it, but certainly the other two, uh, Pusilik and, and Bandler were, were in the psych department doing, you know, hypnosis and, you know, right. fun exploring ideas and stuff. I don't know. It just, um, it's just an idea I've been going with is this idea that it's yeah. a big, big, big topic and that it doesn't, it doesn't seem to, uh, to be right thinking or, or good, uh, a very discerning kind of comment to, to act like NLP uh, doesn't belong and it's this um, pariah or something like that. When it when it's just, an, it's another set of approaches. It's another whole- You may be right. You know? It, it may be that, uh, that I'm, I'm um, replaying thinking that, uh, that I've acquired just by being in NLP circles, which is that we, we haven't really wanted to belong, so to speak. And I'm speaking we collectively, which may yeah. or may not be accurate. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, just thinking about all those those funny, um, but but kind of harsh jokes about you know psycho the rapists and things like that. Oh right, I mean sure. it's like that mm. that's from very early on, you know. Yeah, that that didn't really help things. No, it did not help things. At all. <laughs> <laughs> did not. Oh my gosh! Well, you, you know uh, the the way I look at it. Um, is you know every every professional practice has its own frames of reference and models that they use. Sure. And it's just a question of of deciding what can be incorporated into your scope of practice. So, like in in occupational therapy, we have all kinds of psychological models. We have all you know the sensory integration frame of reference. We have all, like like a biomechanical frame of reference. There's all these different models and ways that we use to organize. Um, the way we gather data, the way we, you know, approach treatment. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that that what we're talking about, like NLP, could easily just simply be a frame of reference that psychology could use. It could easily be a frame of reference that business could use. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it just, it just depends on like, okay, so if we took an NLP frame of reference and how we approach clients, it would look like this. Beautiful. I, this is really resonating. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and really what that just comes down to is um, each profession um, looking, you know, looking at research and things like that and deciding what they want to incorporate. You know, it's kind of like saying that um, is acupuncture medicine? Well, it's certainly a treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Does it, is it, could I call it Western medicine? No, I couldn't, but we could see someday in the future how there could be an acupuncture model that could work in a hospital for certain kinds of conditions. And, and there are places Why where not? it does that. So right. it really is about, about models of practice coming together and people having their scope in terms of what they do. So I could see that eventually happening. Well, I mean, you, you would think with so many anecdotal stories of people who needed to go to a doctor, went to an acupuncturist and then didn't need to go to a doctor. You would think that that would eventually sink into the minds of the populace that, oh, this is a valid treatment for so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. Is it true that it hasn't yet? I mean, I, I, I guess in the circles I run in, acupuncture is like widely accepted. It is. It's pretty widely accepted now. Yeah. But, but it's, 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 a, it's a good um, comparison to NLP and like what we're talking about because they're, they're well-established practices that have their own history. Right. But have had a hard time getting into the mainstream. Yeah. Yet, if you look at the research, the research is there now when it once wasn't. But you know what I mean? And so, they're still yeah. claiming that it's placebo medicine still. 
there's still articles <laughs> in 2021 where they're still claiming these kinds of things and ignoring the, the the broader you know picture wow. and ignoring the, yeah. the bias in the questions that they're asking and all that kind of stuff yeah so, yeah it's, it's funny how how all that is but you know um yeah. yeah but it just seems to me that like you know nlp and hypnosis and all that they're if we just look at them as they're just styles or models, it's like saying, well, jazz is real, is real music and rock isn't We're like, well, wait a minute. Music is so broad. It's just, a, it's just a style. It's a genre. And the jazz musicians maybe can't play rock and the rock musicians can't play jazz. Right. Cause they have their own intricacies and right. But you know, still it could be a pretty good concert, you know, yeah, <laughs> Get them all together. It's, you know, pretty good. They're all music, you know? So sure. I don't know. Yeah. What, one of the really, just to, to, to change the subject a little bit, one of the things that is a, a real gift in, in Jonathan's class that you, you don't expect, it's kind of like a, uh, like a bonus, I guess, from going into his course is that all these celebrities start join in the class and it's amazing how, Oh, it's cool. I, yeah. Like, like, uh, you know, Clinton. Celebrities. And, yeah. Celebrities. They just sort of join into your class. Uh, they just kind of channel through your, Astonish, you know. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Jonathan's is pretty damn good at it too. <laughs> so impersonation is what we're spot. talking about, right? Yeah, really good. <laughs> All right. I heard Sats do a few. Mm. Oh, well, let's let's put let's put a show together. But you're you're the you're the distinguished guest, so uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, what would Clinton say about something like this? That's crazy. I honestly don't know what he would say. But <laughs> as I think about it, I, he might go political on us. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's great. That's great. I like it. I like it. It always surprises you. You're in the middle of class and you all of a sudden. Suddenly, the voice. Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, that's great. That's great. I want to thank you guys for having me on. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Arnold. It's such a pleasure. <laughs> great great that's talking about a pattern interrupt that's perfect yeah so oh my goodness so, so jonathan maybe you could take a moment and um if anybody's interested in finding out more about what you do your trainings how do they you know, like maybe talk about your website how often you do trainings and what that's like and sure you know. uh well uh i would say that uh now that we're in COVID times all bets are off i mean i i, I essentially have moved to a more of a coaching model along with the intention to do more online training. So that's mm. coming together. Uh, I've got two genius mapping courses, online genius mapping courses. So it's the equivalent of six days, but multiple, like around 20 or more three-hour sessions, whatever is needed to get people to the same level of skill. I honestly don't know how well it's going to work online compared to in person. Now that uncertainty is not really uncertainty. It's more like I don't yet know precisely what I'm going to need to do to create the same level of result, but I'm committed to it. So, uh, so we'll have an online blackboard. We'll have the Zoom room. We'll break out breakout groups, and people will still be able to do modeling of each other. So, mm -hmm. I think it's going to go just fine. I just haven't done it online yet. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Uh, there's a new website for that called www.geniusmapping.com. And for all of my other offerings uh, and also home study stuff, there is just my last name, which is altfeld.com. I know that's not a great URL, but A-L-T-F as in Frank, E-L-D.com. And, uh, and so as I offer other things, like uh, uh, so there's some upcoming smaller webinars that will feature Carlos and maybe a few other people. I'm planning on doing more of the genius mapping that, um, that we did with you 
mm. uh, Satch um, earlier okay. in the session. All right. So, yeah, some some interesting online stuff coming up. Yeah. Well, hey, you 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 have permission to 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 map me out there, you know, with what we just <laughs> did. So, you know, free reign, public domain. Cool. Yeah. Well, so, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, so normally, uh, if people are worried about having their personal stuff um, mapped and then you know shared, uh, I have a, an honor code rule in all the courses that I run, the genius mapping courses, where the exemplar who's being mapped, mm-hmm. they own all the rights to whatever is being mapped. So oh, that's at cool. Least, yeah. At least during the course duration, everything that is mapped belongs to the person from whom it was mapped. Um, okay. You know, the, there are different deals available to people once they're you know, genius mappers out there in the real world, depending mm. upon how they're being paid. But uh, uh, at the course, each person owns their own expertise. Mm. That's so nice I appreciate you. the opportunity. I'll <laughs> take that one little. You had this wonderful little belief that uh, I'm going to uh, I'm going to share after we've done this. Uh, I'll wait until you post the authenticity show links, and I'll say, "Hey, and here's something that we got from Satch. It's awesome." All right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and by the way, Satch is loaded with stuff. I mean, there's just I believe it. Layers and layers. Yeah. There's. It's infinite. There's. He's yeah. loaded with good stuff. I'm an so onion. You, I'm an onion. Yeah. yeah layers. Just, just keep right. killing me. Yeah. And I'll make you cry sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> You're you so know. pungent. I I know. I'm a, little, I'm a little pungent. You know. Um, but You're bringing me to yeah. tears. Yeah. <laughs> hey, by That's the way, cool. Jonathan, your your website looks fantastic. It's, uh, I love the color schemes. I, I love. Oh, the, thank you. Design work at the castle wow. kids to make it amazing. Um, it's great. Yeah. Oh, much appreciated. I'm I'm grateful, uh, as with for everything. So thank you both for uh, for hosting this amazing show and for inviting me on. It's, it's such a pleasure to talk to you both. Pleasure. All right. Likewise. It's good to have you. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Very special thanks to our guest today, Jonathan Altfeld. If you want to find out more about Jonathan Altfeld, you can go to altfeld.com A-L-T-F-E-L-D.com. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce the show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. If you're interested, this is a song called Wedding Bells for the Dead. And you can find it on an album of mine called Obsidian Kite. Please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and find us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, check out our YouTube page, and you can find our website at AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening. Have an authentic day.